Amen. <clears throat> now, unless you were, if you forgot it was the 4th of July, then the fireworks probably woke you up if you lived in town. They were pretty loud. My dogs were going crazy, clear out six miles away, so it was pretty loud. <laughs> so they, I don't think they liked fireworks <laughs> that much. And neither did Digger this morning. Digger wasn't happy about the fireworks either. So unless you're in a it was in a somewhere far away. It's the Fourth of July, and uh, we that's count, we celebrate the birth of our nation. Now we're going to be in First Timothy, the second chapter. If you want to turn there this morning, we're just gonna we have a few verses, few verses there, about four verses today. But man, we're when you get done here, you're gonna know those these four verses because we're gonna read them a few times. Only in America can you get your home, your house, get pizza to your house faster than an ambulance. Only in America are there handicapped parking places in front of a skating ring. Only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way in the back to get their prescriptions while healthy people can stand and buy suntan lotion up front. Only in America do people order double cheeseburgers, large fries, and a Diet Coke. Only in America do we leave cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway and fill our garages with junk. Only in America do we use answering machines to screen our calls and have call waiting so we won't miss a call from someone we didn't want to talk to in the first place. Only in America we buy hot dogs in packages of 10 and buns in packages of 8. Only in America do we have Braille on drive-up ATM machines. You could probably add to this list, but there is a quandary in America as far as uh, things that we do. And if other people from other nations come here, they'd wonder, what in the world is the matter with you people? You guys are so backwards about things. And we go to their countries and think the same thing. So, but anyway, America is the greatest nation in the world. And we are all blessed to have been born here. We kind of take our freedoms for granted, but if you go to some areas of the country or other parts of the world, the freedoms to worship and the freedoms to come here to church, they don't get to do. And if they try to gather in somebody's houses and they find out about it, they, they take them, haul them off to jail, or they torture them, or they kill them. So we have this freedom to come, and we have this freedom to worship God, and yet we do not, aren't that grateful for it. We're a very ungrateful people, and we expect so much from, uh, from everyone because we're used to, we're just got in that area that we think the world owes us a living and all those kind of things, and we forget how blessed that we really are, and we've lost all our gratitude. And when you've lost your gratitude and you take everything for granted, then you're standing on a cliff, and you, you know, one more step and you're gone. And that's where our nation is. We live in a nation where the people aren't grateful for what they have. The poorest person in America is richer than most of the people in the world. If we have a roof over our head, that's more than some people have. If we have food on our table, there's some people that go to bed at night hungry. And yet we're, we throw away so much here in America. So we're not grateful. But we need to be awakened because our nation is in trouble. If you didn't know it, our nation is in trouble. And if we don't do something about it, you might as well just flush the toilet and wait for the flush because we're there. 
we're there, and I can't, you know, I'm, I marvel, and I shake my head every day. How come we tolerate this stuff? I don't understand it, and I guess I never will understand it. Because as Christians, we look at, the, we have a different viewpoint on things, and we just can't understand it. But I believe that there's hope. In America, there's hope, and we are part of that hope. See, we need to reclaim America. That's what we need to do. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we reclaim America? And that's going to be the subject of our uh, message this morning and in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, starting in verse 1. It says, I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, in these, these three verses, these few verses, Paul has given us a lot of information on how we can reclaim America. And we're going to look at those this morning. In verse 2, the first, uh, verses 1 and 2a, it says, I exert thee therefore that first of all supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all those in authority. The New Living Translation says it like this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority. Paul says the first thing we need to do is pray for those in authority. See, it seems like we as Christians and even non-Christians, all we know how to do is complain and gripe and moan and groan about, well, I don't like the way Obama's doing this. Well, I don't like the way the legislature passed this. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. We're so in involved in the I don't likes and I don't understand and all this stuff that we forget that we need to pray for them. When you're standing there listening to somebody complain about everything that's going on, ask them, have you prayed for them? And most of the time they'll say no. Why? Because we're too busy complaining. If we spent the time praying that we do complaining, our nation would turn around. And it's not only the people in government and in the White House and the legislatures and things that's up there. We need to pray for our, our local governments and our state governments. And you need to be praying for me too. <laughs> because I'm in a position of authority. And I want to make sure I make the right decisions and the right choices. And don't do anything that would be displeasing to God. And I'm held accountable to God for everything that I say and everything that I do. And I'm held to a higher standard than you are. So sometimes it's not a privilege to be in authority. Because everything that comes, of course, everything comes out of your mouth, you're going to be held accountable for too. But I'm up here in a, in a position of authority, and I'm trying to instruct you in the ways of God and trying to, to help you to build a better relationship with God so you can draw closer to God. So if you're not praying for me and you come to church and you don't get anything out of the service, well, you got what you expected. You got what you prayed for. And you'll leave the same way you came. But, of course, but God doesn't want it that way. God wants you to leave each church service differently. He wants you to take something with you. That song says you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick or lame. For the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. See, that's God's will for every single service we have here. For us to go away different. 
for God to hide his word in our heart that we might, well, not sin against God. See, that's the purpose. Some people say, what's the sense of coming to church? I can worship God at home, and I can worship God here, and I can do this, and I can do that. That's true, you can. And you better be as Christians doing worshiping God at home and worshiping every, t- every chance and opportunity that you get. But God commanded us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He commanded us to come and be part of a body. Not so much that we're, we're going to get something out of it, but so we can be a blessing to someone else. See, we're a family. We're a church family. And th- these are the people you're going to spend eternity with. So you might as well get to know them. And you might find out you like them. There's a lot of people here we don't know. But there's a lot of people here that, you, that if you get to know them, you think, man, I wish I'd have got to know them a year ago. I've been coming here for a year or two years. And man, look at everything I missed. Look at the opportunities I missed to fellowship with these people. Man, and, and once you do that and you start to get to know people, then all of a sudden, then there's accountability factor. And we come to church because people are going to notice you're not here. And then, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a, a thin line on, on how many times someone misses before the pastor calls you. <laughs> it's kind of a, well, Lord, do I call, do I don't call, do I call, do I don't call? Because sometimes, you know, you feel like a mother wanting to know, where were you last Sunday? You know, and, and it weighed that with the concern that maybe something's going on that you might not hear about. Because not everybody calls the pastor when something goes wrong. They just complain that the pastor didn't come and see him. That's the reality of the place we live in. But see, we have to be able to, to call a pastor. We have to call him, let him know that there's something going on that we need to pray about. I mean, just because you call me doesn't mean that if you don't want me to come to your house, I won't. I can pray with you over the phone. You know, thanks to AT&T and Bell and, and Verizon and everything like that, prayers go through those lines just fine. And God can hear the prayers. God doesn't need a telephone. You don't have to be in church to pray. You don't have to be anywhere particular because God hears our prayers. And we just need to come into our secret place and be able to pray. And God is there. Every time we pray and mention the name of Jesus, he's there. He shows up. So, hey, man, we're excited about that. So we want to reclaim America. We need to pray for America. Don't complain about it. Pray for it. And if you just change that one thing and get rid of the complaining and start praying... It's okay to play, complain to God about it. Say, God, I don't understand this. And start confessing our sins as a nation to God. I don't know why we're killing our babies, Lord, but we are. Forgive us. And everything that you're unhappy about in our nation, talk it over with God. <clears throat> because he can do something about it. The person you're complaining to, generally, unless they're a, they're a senator. And I don't know very many senators. Do you? I surely don't know the president other than what I see on TV. And I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm not impressed with a lot of people in our leadership, but I pray for them. And sometimes it's like, it's like swallowing dirt <laughs> to do it, but we are commanded to do it because God can't move if we don't pray. Now, the foundation for freedom was laid by our founding fathers, and it's kept alive by our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers. That's how freedom is kept alive, and we're we got freedom that's being kept alive right now in our war over in Afghanistan and in Iraq. We're still fighting those battles for freedom. And whether you disagree with that war or whether you don't, just remember, they bombed us. They came here and involved us in the war. And whether you agree with it or not, pray for our service people. Because they're representing you and they're representing me over there. 
And they're there because the leadership has commanded them to go and fight. And we need to support them. We need to pray for them. Now, our original founding fathers, they came here for freedom of religion. Not freedom from religion. Because there's a difference in freedom of religion and, and freedom from religion. Freedom of religion would be just like you telling your kids that they're free to go. You go to the playground and you tell your kids, you're free to play on the swings. Now, I'm not forcing them to go play on the swings, but if they want to go swing, play on the swings, they can. It's their, their option. Freedom from the swings, however, is different. It means you're free from the bondage of the swings. You were being forced to swing, and now you don't have to swing anymore. <laughs> so we're free to worship the way that we want. We don't have to. If you don't want to worship God or you don't want to be any part of religion, you don't have to. But freedom from religion means that they want to remove the influence of religion in our lives. And I, oh man, that scares me to death to remove the influence of religion from our nation. We can't reach God through religion because you, you become saved by confessing Jesus, accepting him as your personal Savior, and, and ex confessing your sins and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And then religion helps you to be able to know how to live right. So I don't want to do away with the religion. I don't want to be freed from religion because look what's happened. The more religion comes out of our environment, the worse things get. Look at our school. As soon as I took prayer out of school and Bible reading out of school, what happened? It happened in the 60s. And one woman did it. Man, those women are powerful. <laughs> one woman did it. So what are we griping about? Say, what can I do? Well, we can pray. We can get involved if we have the opportunity. And if one woman can do that and cause the devastation in our nation that's been caused to date, then what could we do as a group? If we're willing to stand up and go to, you know, and put the school, prayer back in school, put Bible reading back in school, because we need that in schools. Because people, kids are away from their parents and they don't know what they're doing half the time, but they're never away from God. And they need to be reminded that God is watching you. You're not going to get rid of God because he's everywhere you go. Mom and dad may not be there and not be able to see everything you did. And I did a lot of things when I was growing up my parents didn't know about. But God's seen every one of them. So I didn't get away with anything. <clears throat> The first settlers of America came here for freedom of worship. And the pilgrims wrote the Mayflower Compact in 1620, and it said, In the name of God, amen, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, to solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. Twenty-three years later, the New York Confederation wrote, Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. Now, that doesn't sound like somebody doesn't want religion in, the, in our government, does it? Today, they want to eliminate every part of religion from our society and every part of God away from everything. They don't want it because why? Because it convicts them of their sin. And nobody likes to be convicted. I don't like it either. But I thank God for conviction in my life now because I know that God is still molding me and he's still making me and he's still leading me in a direct path now i'm not perfect and the ladies that went camp this week and the kids found out this week that i'm not perfect they got a good look at the pastor on a away from the pulpit and it's a different scene <laughs> hopefully i didn't disappoint him too bad 
So, but the intentions of the, of the uh, founding fathers were, were religious oriented. And they wrote, we therefore, in 1776, they wrote, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the there's restitute and of their are intentions and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge our, pledge, pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Woo! I know that language is kind of a little hard for us to understand. It makes us wonder how in the world they understood it, but they did. And in the First Continental Congress met and they were debating how the Declaration of Independence should be written, Ben Franklin got up and said, gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us, therefore, determine to seek his face. After having said that, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence went to their knees and began to pray and seek God's wisdom. Woo! What would happen if that happened in our government? Man, talk about exciting, wouldn't it? I know the ACLU would be out there picketing there in there praying on my dime. <laughs> I can see it now. But if they went on and got their knees, I guarantee the power of God to take care of the ACLU and take care of all these people because they'd be fighting against a, a power and a force that they cannot contend against. <clears throat> now, of these 56 men that signed their declaration, some of them died in battle. Others were captured and tortured by the, Britain, by the British um, soldiers. Some get, lost their homes and ransacked and they were burned to the ground. Others lost their, their sons in battle, or they were captured. Some had to live like vagabonds and were per persecuted. Thomas Nelson owned his own house destroyed when it was occupied by the British. But most all of them died in poverty because they gave everything they had for their vision, for their dream of freedom that we just take for granted. We have the opportunity to just get in your car, go somewhere you want something to drink, go to 7-Eleven, go somewhere and get something. Man, what a freedom, what a, what a wonderful place we live. But our founding fathers were committed not only to obtain freedom for our um, future generations, but they were committed to the Christian principles. And we need to understand that. They, they want to water that down, that this was formed as a Christian nation, whether they like it or not. That's why they want to get all these letters out of the thing, out of the public view, so we'll believe what they say. John Quincy Adams, the second president of the of the United States, speaking of the Declaration of Independence, said, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledge as root for their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. George Washington, in his farewell address, said, do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they attempt to remove religion from politics. Patrick Hendricks said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I could read hundreds and hundreds of statements similar to these. And, of course, I think we're, we're I don't know, I think it was Reagan that might have said it, that said, we're one nation, as soon as we're not a one nation under God, we're a nation that's gone under. And that's where we're at today, when they want to take one nation under God out of our Pledge of Allegiance we're going to be a nation that's gone under. Now, I know that we sit there and we wonder, well, man, there we're just a few people. What good is praying going to make? And sometimes we wonder that. We say, well, I've prayed for things for years. Well, keep praying. Some things, you know, it, we didn't get this way overnight. 
We just didn't wake up one morning and all of a sudden all this, this stuff happened. It happened gradually, 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 gradually until we're in the position we're at. So we pray and we pray a little bit and we continue to pray. Then James 5, 16b through 18, it says, The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it did not and didn't not a drop or for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would, would rain, and it did. And the showers came, and everything started growing again. Now, we have a tendency to think that some of these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament were some mighty warrior that we're not. They're no different than we are. They did miraculous things because God called them to a different position in life. But we have the, still the same prayer power as what they have. Prayer moves God. And if you don't think it does, many of you men may have little girls or little boys or something that when they're little and you're sitting in your chair and they crawl up in your lap and they wrap their arms around you and they start hugging you and say, oh, I love you so much, Daddy. I just love you so much. Oh, I love you. And they start rubbing your face. And then the dad's heart melts and he says, oh, what do you want? <laughs> what can I get for you? Can I have an ice cream, Daddy? Oh, and the daddy's going to say, No! He'll give her the whole gallon if she wants it. And that's kind of what God does with us. I mean, we're not praying to, to, be, to get something from God. I mean, if we do, of course, then God can see our motives. But when we crawl up in God's lap and wrap, let him wrap his arms around us, and we wrap our arms around him and we start rubbing his face, say, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful for everything that you've done for him. That melts the heart of God. And prayer moves the hand of God. Nothing happens without prayer. On the day of Pentecost, if they weren't gathered together in one place in one accord praying, we'd be still be waiting for Pentecost. But they prayed and they were one accord in praying. See, being when two or three are gathered together, there's more power. It increases that power and it moves the hand of God. <clears throat> now we can reclaim America by living righteous lives. That verse says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peacefully in quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We live, when we live righteous lives according to God's standards, people are going to notice. And if you're trying to live a righteous life and you go somewhere and somebody's in, in darkness and they're doing something that's really bad and they know they can sense that you're a righteous person, their behavior is going to change, isn't it? When I worked at the one place I used to work, man, I'll tell you, there was a lady there that she could curse like a sailor. Of course, this was before politically correct got in the scene and all the, and that, that kind of stuff. And she cursed like a sailor. As soon as I walked up, language changed. Why? Because I tried to live a righteous life. Sure, I wasn't perfect. I didn't do everything right. I didn't say everything right. But my righteous living and my righteous life influenced them. So that changed their behavior. Now, if we, as a body of Christ, reach out and we get other people and we stand next to them, then people's behavior is going to change. That's the reality of it. Because light overshadows darkness. If you don't believe it, take a small match in a dark room. You don't need a lot of light to light up a dark room. We need to remember that. Now, our government, when we formed it, we formed it with three branches, the executive, legislature, and judicial. If you didn't know that, this is history for you. And when they started this form of government, 
There was nothing ever heard like this before. Never in the face of this history of our world has any kind of government been like this one. And you sit there and wonder, where did they get it from? I'm going to tell you. Isaiah 33, 22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The Lord is our judge. That's our judicial branch. The Lord is our lawgiver. The lawgiver is our legislative branch. The Lord is our king. The king is our executive branch. Come right out of the Bible. And yet we're not formed by a Christian nation. We have nothing to do with any of that stuff. Well, we have to get rid of the whole government. If, we don't, if the Bible didn't influence us, where'd we get it from? Well, that's where we got it from. See, they organized our government and our nation on the word of God. And the reason we're having problems today is because we're throwing out the word of God. That's the problem that we're having. They're trying to let the uh, Supreme Court trying to figure out how they can get away from acknowledging God in the Constitution. That's why they don't want the Constitution, because it's all about God and serving God and, and living your lives according to God's principles and according to God's word. And they don't like that, because that light shines right in their own lives. And, and they don't like that. They're doing things they don't like that, that they shouldn't be doing, and they know it. And if they shine a light on it, oh, no, can't have that. So let's just legalize it. Let's just get it out of the way, and then we'll feel better about ourselves. You know, let's legalize everything. Then nobody has done anything wrong. There's no sin. We just legislated sin right out of every existence. Wow, don't you feel good that you can't sin because they legislated it right out there? Well, see, God doesn't look, listen to the legislature. He has rules in here, and I don't care what the legislature says. God's going to judge by these laws and by these rules. And whether we like it or not, that's what he's going to do. Now, our nation strayed away from God's word and the intention of our founding fathers, just in case you didn't know that. And they want to take in God we trust off our money. And they want to take under God out of our Pledge of Allegiance. And they want to remove the Ten Commandments from public view because they don't want to be able to see all the things they're doing wrong. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, a lot of people up there don't like that one. They don't want to worship God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. They don't like that one either because then I can't do all this stuff over here. So let's remove them because if we hide them in a closet... Then we can do what we want. We don't worry about, oh, that conviction stuff makes me feel so bad. I don't like that. So let's get rid of the stuff that makes us feel bad, right? That's the way that our, that our nation thinks. <clears throat> See, what we need to do as Christians is stand up and be counted. And we can vote. See, we vote. And we need to vote righteously. And you need to start educating yourself about the people that you vote for. Because God doesn't count ignorance as a, as a reason not to, to, to vote righteously. You're obligated to find out what they stand. And if they believe in abortion, if they support gay marriage, don't vote for them. Because if you vote for them, you're agreeing with everything that they are doing and everything that they stand for. So we need to vote them out and start over again. And I don't mean just Democrat. I mean Republican, Independent, whatever they are. Vote righteously. I don't care what party they're in. Because if someone lives a righteous life by the, God's principles, they're going to do what's right. Somebody, some people have, have been raised in a home, I'm Democrat, I don't care what, or I'm Republican, it doesn't matter, and that's what they think they are. And they, but you need to vote individually by candidates. I don't care who they are. And when we do that, then our nation will start changing, changing around. Proverbs 14:34 in the Good News Bible, it says, Righteousness makes a nation great. But sin is a disgrace to any nation. 
See, sin has disgraced God's name and our nation. This nation is a disgrace when we look at it in relationship to our Constitution. The divorce rate in America is 50%, even among Christians. Now, that, that, that really gets me. How in the world can a Christian get a divorce? The Bible tells you how to resolve all the conflicts you're having. But see, people get divorced because they're selfish. They want their own way, and they want you to give, give, in, give in to your way. You can't have an argument if you agree. And see, God set up a system in the home. Whether we like it or not, God knows it works. And the man's the head of the house, and the wife is sub- supposed to be subjected to her husband as unto the Lord. If she can't do it unto the Lord, she can't do it. That's the, and the husband's supposed to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Well, it's awful hard for a Christian woman to submit to another godly man. So, ladies, you have, you have a reprieve there, but you need to pray for that husband. You need to pray for that wife because God hears and answers prayer. And sometimes it may take a while before they come to know God. Randy didn't get saved right away after I did. He waited a whole year Amen. to find out. You know, wanted to make sure this was something wasn't just uh, a new fad as it was going through, you know, like pink hair. We had up there at the camp. I'm at Kenya. I've never seen so many colors of hair. And, I, I would, and not only the kids, the counselors were wearing them. And I was amazed. They said, they actually, you can actually go to the grocery store and buy this weird hair color already mixed. I thought, wow. I told man, how do you think that would look if I dyed my hair purple and red or something streaked it and whatever and come up here? I guarantee you I'd get your attention, wouldn't I? <laughs> it, the World War II monument that they just dedicated here a while back that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he had his speech written on top of it when he announced that we were going to war. But they left off four words, so help us God. Now that's the, that's the so help us God is the part that we need. We need so help us God today in our lives. We need that, but they, they just put it right out. Half the teenage pregnancies end in abortion. 60% of 12 to 18-year-olds who claim to be Christians, claim to be Christians, are sexually active. 12-year-olds. I heard of uh, here just the other day that there was a 13-year-old that was having a relationship with a man that was 25 years old, and the parents thought it was great. That's where we're at. That's where we're at in America. In 1976, child abuse is up 240%. Wow. These figures just blow my mind. I can't even comprehend that because any kind of abuse is bad. Pornography, sexual abuse, broken homes, and abuse of power, they're rampant in our nation and in our country. And sin has disgraced our nation. To To reclaim America, we need to pray and live righteous lives. We... And back to our verse again, it says, I exert thee, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. To reclaim America, we need to share Christ. They need to come into the knowledge of the truth. We're at the camp, they had one, one workshop where they were talking about Islam and they were talking about the, the people that, that uh, bombed, on, bombed the Trade Center on 9-11. And the guy that instigated this spent, got a degree at Colorado State University. And then he come back and completed another degree at Colorado State University. 
So he was here a minimum of eight years where somebody could have impacted his life. If somebody would have just talked to this guy. But nobody did. See, we're, we're right into our own lives and we're, we're too busy with it. We don't want to share Christ. But if somebody would have shared Christ with this man and he would have got saved, there would have been no 9-11. There would be no domination and terrorism like we're facing. If we take the opportunity to share our faith with people. Of all faiths, it doesn't matter who they are. I'm just, you know, the Islam's people, you know, they're just lost. We got a whole world in America that's lost. And if we don't do any, do something about it now, if we don't stop the bleeding, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. So we need to pray and we need to live a righteous life and we need to share our faiths. You know, gay and lesbians are speaking out, they're loud. Abortionists are speaking out and they're loud about their rights. And the government's listening. We are content to sit in our homes and shake our heads in the directions of our country is headed. But we sit in church, but do little outside the church to be a witness for Christ. See, politically correctness is only, a, only supposed to be for us Christians. We have to be politically correct. But it's okay, they can say whatever they want about us, and they can do whatever they want. We have to be politically correct, or we suffer in persecution. And that persecution is going to get worse unless we have a revival in this nation. Unless we return back to our roots, things are going to happen that we aren't going to like. And I'm thankful for all the people that have been said, we've had enough. We want to return back to our roots. And there's a big movement in this nation. And I believe that we need to help support a movement that's going to get rid of the immorality and all the evil things that are going on in this nation. And I believe that we're obligated by God to do that. And the least thing we can do is pray. I mean, if you don't want to share your faith with your neighbor, at least pray for them. That don't take any effort. But I'm guaranteeing that if you pray for your neighbor or your person at work, I guarantee there's going to become an opportunity for you to share your faith. Because God's going to answer, your faith, answer that prayer. And you're going to be standing there and the door's going to open wide for you to share your faith. And you don't need to worry about it because God said he'll give you the words to say. But if you're never in this word and you never read it, it's going to be awful hard for the, for the Holy Spirit to drag something out of your spirit that isn't there. Just like a computer, you may want the, the, a definition of a word, but if you don't have a dictionary and put it into your computer, you can print it in there all you want. It ain't going to come up. You have to have the dictionary there. Well, we as Christians have to have God's word in our heart and be ready to give an account for everyone of the faith that is in us. That's our responsibility as Christians. And if we're not praying for our nation, if we're not praying for our loved ones, if we're not praying for our friends, then we don't care. And if we don't care, we need to get saved. We need to get saved. We need to get down on our knees and say, God, forgive me of my sin of apathy and not caring about what happens in our nation and what happens to our, my friends and my loved ones and my community. So if what happened in our nation, if it continues to get worse, maybe it's our fault because we're not praying. And if you're not praying, I guarantee it is your fault. <clears throat> the only hope for America is in Jesus. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're supposed to be lights. Now, we's up there at camp and we're singing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. 
hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. That's what God's commanded us to do. We sang a lot of nice little kid songs up there, and they were great, weren't they? Man, I'll tell you, they were just anointed, and man, I'll tell you, you get a new outlook on them when you sing them when you're older. Because, man, it just, yeah, we're, we have a light inside of us that we need to, to let shine. One Sunday morning, as they drove home from church, little Molly turned to her mother and said, Mommy, there's something the preacher said this morning that I don't understand. What's that, honey? Well, he said that God is bigger than we are. He said that God is so big, he could hold the whole world in his hand. Is that true? The mother replied, yes, honey, that's true. But mommy, he said, that God, he also said that God comes to live inside us when we trust in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Is that true, too? The mother said, assured little Molly that, that what the pastor had said was true. With a puzzled look on her face, Molly then asked, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Wouldn't he show through? If God lives in our hearts as Christians and we claim to know God and he lives in our hearts, he'll show through. And if you don't have nothing shining through, then you need to get saved because you can't help it. You know, you, can, you can't stuff um, five pounds worth of anything in a space this big <laughs> without, making a, without something happening to the opening. When God comes to live inside of us, he's bigger than we are, and he shines through. He can't help it. It's like standing in the sunlight. You can't help it shining on you. You can put up whatever you want against it, an umbrella, whatever, but it ain't going to stop the sun from shining. The world may get you down. Your problems may get you down. But when your life is hid in Christ, he's going to shine through. And it's at those points of trouble and problems in your life is when the world is going to notice that God is shining through. Anybody can smile and be happy when things are going well. But it's when problems are going bad that people notice your lives. And that's when they say, I want what you have. If you can go through that problem, if you can go through that thing in your life and still worship God and still let God shine through your heart, I want that. Because everyone we see today is hurting. They've got problems in their life. They, you know, people have lost their jobs. The economy is tanked. This world's a mess. And when we can sit there, we can go through and trust God because God promised to take care of us. God isn't uh, bound by our economy. It doesn't matter what Obama says or what the legislature passes. It doesn't matter. It ain't going to stop God from working. And when one hurt his kids and we climb up in his lap, Daddy, Daddy, he said we can call him Abba Father. That means Daddy, Daddy God. Maybe we need to start saying Daddy sometimes. But that's the only thing that's going to change. And the verse that Tammy wore, read this morning, uh, Psalm 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Yeah. Our nations, when our nation ceases to look to God for guidance and direction, we cease to have God's blessing upon our life. So how do we reclaim our, our, our nation? Pray for America and our leaders. Live righteous lives. Stand on the principles and values of God's words. Let the light of Christ shone through. Let others see that Jesus is the only hope for America. When we do those things, then we can reclaim America. It has to start somewhere. Might as well start here. And that same principles apply to us individually. See, we need to have God in our own life. Because without God, we're not going to go to heaven. We don't have God in our heart. We can do whatever we want here. 
Doesn't matter, but we need to accept Christ personally as our Savior. If we want, we expect to go to heaven. We need our lives to, to change. And as America, Jesus is the only hope. Individually, Jesus is the only hope for our life. So if you're this morning and you don't know Jesus, then you're at a handicap. Because it's hard. You can't pray to God if you're not his child. Because he listens to his children. But the neighbor's kids can call daddy all they want. And my husband ain't going to respond. But let our kids call daddy. And all of a sudden, those ears are perked up. And they start listening because he knows the voices of his children. And it's easy to become part of the family of God. All you got to do is say, God, I want to be born into your family. I know that you died on a cross for my sin. And I can't do it by myself. I can't do it. And God says, I didn't intend for you to do That's why I sent Jesus. I sent Jesus to die for your sin so you could go to heaven. Because God loves us so much, he wants to spend eternity with us. We're so concerned about spending eternity with God, we forget that God wants to spend eternity with us. I don't understand that, but I don't have to. I just know that it's true. God loves us so much that he wanted to spend eternity with us. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't even need to bow your head. I don't, I don't like that anymore. I mean, if you're going to serve God, you're